0: understanding you know how you went from your background in military to law and i know the story just from knowing you over the years i remember we used to work at a hybrid together my wife was pregnant i was like i'm gonna go to the gym at five in the morning you were one of like the only six other people there that yeah. early um it blew my mind like you just you would get in there every day you'd grind you'd work you always had that that it factor that i knew Like, you were programmed differently than other people. Then I found out you were in the military. Then I found out you opened a law firm. And -hmm. then mutual connections and business partners over the years, we kept crossing paths. My mother-in-law, I think she's your biggest fan in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you built quite an outfit and you're about to move into an incredible new location, which I'm not gonna ruin that surprise for anybody Mm because it's probably one of the coolest locations I've ever seen. Um, Give me that story, like what led you from jumping out of helicopters to defending the little guy.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I lost my ability to, to see in one of my eyes. Um, really? My right eye. I'm blind I, in my right eye. I had no clue. Yeah. So, the, you know, that's why the veteran thing sometimes gets me going. Yeah. Just because, you know, when you, I, I find like the people who see a lot of death are far less, um, far less um, eager to, to, you know, to just treat war like it's, like a, like it's a tool for, for patriotism, yeah. right? And so most of the, the senior guys I knew in the military who have seen a lot of death, they're actually anti-war. Because they realize, yeah. you know, it just doesn't really work. And all that happens is young people go and get killed for people who sit back here who, who aren't in danger, yeah. right? And so, um, and so I don't like to talk about it too much, but the, the end result is the army treated me very well. So then they sent me to law school. Uh, and they, I think the Canadian military treats veterans amazing. and Don't let anybody tell you it differently. Then I went to law school, and I was paid to go to law school. Cool. And then um, I wanted to continue kind of on that white hat job. So I, I felt I was a Canadian peacekeeper, went in some war zones. Like I felt like I was out there. Back then, it felt like I was part of a Canadian. I, I, the military training is unbelievably tough to get in some of the units we're in. But then you become, and this is kind of captured in my view of being tough is not being a bully. Not name calling. Like Being tough is just quietly protecting the small people. And I like that about my history in the military, is that we would go somewhere to help people. Right? And if there were bad actors there, we could take them out. Uh, and we did when it was necessary. But then we didn't thump our chest and say, look at us, we're so tough, celebrate the military. It was, just, it was cool. So when I, when I went to law school, I ended up helping a bunch of people in law school because I was older. Because law is dysfunctional. it creates. Dysfunctional human beings. It's scarcity driven. Everybody is terrified. The business of law. The law school is the single most unhealthy organization I've ever seen. Oh wow. Uh, Now everybody wants to be a lawyer because it creates full scarcity. Everybody is competing. Everybody thinks they won't get a job. There's only so many pieces. Everybody is made to feel like they'll never be successful. You know, and it just creates, you have high intelligence people fighting for this and it just makes them, they they put the right stuff, the wrong stuff in the front. And they, 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 they forget. They value
0: the wrong things.
1: Yeah. Like they want to get recognized. They want to get the job. They yeah. want to get this. And I'm just like, look, when you get a legal education, you're actually, it's like yeah. giving me, you know, a sniper rifle. Now I have something that I can do a lot of damage or good with, right? Especially so you, up here. Like you give somebody a law degree, you can yeah. go do a lot of good or you can go do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Most of them, but because the big firms sponsor the law schools for the most part. They've got everybody churning towards success as being in a big firm, making good money, right? And it's... Uh, so I enjoyed the law school experience, but then I thought if I became a crown attorney, yeah, I could kind of, similar to the military, I could be doing good for people, putting bad guys away, yeah. you know, wearing the white Lone ranger hat. What's of. the definition of a crown attorney for our audience? It's like a district attorney in the U.S., a prosecutor. Yeah, yeah okay. Like a prosecutor. So yeah. you're, a, you're hired by the Ontario government to kind of put the bad guys away. And so I went into that environment. It was really... I was well suited for it. My background—I had some psychological operations training, information warfare, strategic training. I briefed, you know, government officials and prime ministers, so I—I I, I could speak. Having and the military—you kind of get forged in in fire, and you come out tougher, and you don't get phased. So, yeah. I remember the first time when I was a young uh, articling student with the crown attorney. Uh, trying to do a trial, the judge was yelling at me and the judge is like, Mr. Miller, you don't seem to be uh, reacting to, to me yelling at you. And I'm like, your honor, you're just a guy sitting on a chair, like you're not shooting at me. Right? And We're going to be okay. Yeah. Like he pulled me in after. He's like, I love that you talk to me like that. He goes, all these lawyers are so weak. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I was just- what, What's it, the worst that's going to happen right now? Yeah. Was, yeah. And I'm not going to apologize for, for trying to do something right. Yeah. You know, like if I'm unprepared or if I'm doing something for the wrong reasons, then I, I can be embarrassed, but I'm never going right, to be, yeah. you know? So, I, I like that dynamic, but then as a crown for a while, it became a bit bu- bureaucratic and political. Yeah. It, it, wasn't, it, was, it was too disorganized okay. to be political. It was just the Canadian system is far fairer than the US. It's amazing because they're not elected. Okay. The last thing you want to do is have your prosecutors elected. We can go down that wormhole. That's another a different episode, one. Which yeah. we will. Um, but it was like being in a grocery line. Yeah. Like your advancement was just are you, in, are you lucky to be in the right line? Not the
0: best guy. Yeah, it wasn't a
1: meritocracy. And then I quickly realized that I was just putting a lot of people in jail because their lawyers sucked. Yeah. Right? I was like, it's just the system is so overwhelmingly in the favor of the government mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, mo- and you know, you had people who were drug addicts and they're going to jail. It, it, it wasn't giving me that joy. It wasn't fixing the problem. No, it wasn't yeah. giving me the joy. And uh, so then I ended up leaving, going to a big firm in town, learning some litigation, but then saying, okay, these people are not functional yeah. uh, in terms of they don't know how to play in a sandbox or have, or, or have a group goal ahead of their individual goals. Mm-hmm. And then I just ended up uh, starting Millar's uh, Law. Around fighting for the little guy, going in yeah. and helping people, right? I think that's what I was interested in doing. It wasn't like, hey, I want to start a law firm to fight for the little guy. Like, I wanted to make cash. Like, yeah. I, I like, I like yeah. making money, I like winning. But I just realized, because I had an entrepreneurial background, yeah. That it was a purpose. It, and I had an advantage over other lawyers yeah. who were like kind of scared to take risks. They weren't entrepreneurial. Yeah. And then I've been running that for 10 years, but everybody who works for me, you know, I'm, I always tell them like, look, we, we do the right thing, right? Because people need us yeah. and we don't, we don't overbill. But I refer to... And that's why I think I've become close friends with you is because you, you you seem to be like something similar in your profession than what I... And I don't know you all that well, but like, I wanted to, to kind of make the profession a bit different. Right? There's still a lot of good people in law, but I just wanted to be that person. You can who... do better than the standard. I think, that's like, I think it's always, you're
0: always going to move the goalposts, right? Like, I don't think you're the type of guy that's like, I need to make this much money and do this many deals and once <coughs> I do that, sit on my boat and I'm just going to relax. Like, you're never going to relax because you're not built mm-hmm. like that. You're always going to be looking at different ways, different angles. You see things in other industries that you think you could bring some knowledge to, great. But you're you're open to conversation and you're open
1: to learning. You're always reading new books. Like it's kind that's, of similar. That's a cool dynamic, you're similar right? in that in both of our professions, the ego could take over. Yeah. Like in law, you s- I see people all the day posturing about their ego, more concerned about their ego than their client, how the how the community views you, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you know, and what I hate about lawyers is when I saw them like hanging out in their groups, all like you know you know with their noses up, making fun of the Better clients, were, making yeah. fun of the clients, and I'm like, Trap. I don't care if you like me. Mr. Lawyer from London, you know what I mean, whose family, right? I've got somebody who needs me, right? So, sorry if if I ruffle your feathers by pushing back, and you, when I looked at you as a realtor and why I would send any of my good friends to you, and all of them, is because I trust that you would not put them in a deal that wasn't good for them, for your own ego, because you wanted to beat somebody else to a deal, or because you needed the money, like I know you would take a hit, just like I would take a hit for the benefit of the client, and that that reminds me of the relationships I had when I was in the Special Forces. Like, that is, that is really a rare commodity, and you definitely have that element. Uh, that, I think that it's holding each stress. other accountable.
0: I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off, but yeah. like,
1: having a guy like
0: you in my world that, like, I want to be able to tell me yeah. something like that, like, to me, that's worth more than yeah. a $100,000 paycheck. Okay but now i know i have to live up to that standard yeah so when we're going back and forth on stuff i know you've got that dec- it does
1: work that way too though because as soon as i say that yeah. it's well, almost I... like subconsciously because i say that to you if i send somebody to you you're never going to screw that
0: never in a million years you wouldn't we, anyhow we we it had a guy this weekend me. that like it's not even in our wheelhouse technically but i connected him with the right people and we're trying to help him get through a situation let, let me tell
1: that story because i think it, it speaks to law firm and
0: oh definitely yeah yeah i'd love to to that because that story you told me was one of the reasons why we're doing this again. Yeah. We're like, hey, like, let's just come in and chat because I think the public doesn't know a lot. So of I, re- things, I right? referred
1: you a client, a new lawyer that I'm hiring, yep. who comes from Pakistan, and I just, I just knew you would take care of him. Mm. And um, but he's, I knew he's not like he's not somebody who's going to make your firm a ton of money. But I know that you're, you think in the infinite game, not the finite game. So if this guy becomes a successful lawyer, he's got family, he's going to buy houses, but you just want to take care of people. That comes naturally, but like mm-hmm. he's a human being, yeah, yeah. he's got an issue that But you can't help can every right? human being, who need, hey, so he needs a rental, yeah, so you take sure. care of him. But this guy came to me uh, looking for a job, and uh, we're, t- we're expanding our, our divorce family law department, and uh, I interviewed a bunch of these people who thought they were geniuses, and you know, but I didn't get a sense from them that they cared about... The, the actual clients yeah. who are who are in, in divorce law, you're very susceptible to having a lawyer spin you up to get more angry, because the more angrier you the are, the more, mo- the more you money know. you'll pay, right? So with my psychological operations training, if, you, if somebody came in and their spouse had cheated on them, I could get that person so angry they'd sell everything to give to it, yeah. but it's not in their interest. So I had a bunch of those, and then this guy came in, he's from Pakistan, and so I was like. Let's see what he talks about. So I interviewed him, just like a a, just a gentleman, just like a gentleman, but a competent, hardworking gentleman, who came over three years ago. And he was a lawyer in Pakistan. And maybe your listeners don't know, but in Pakistan, India, their working language is English. Hmm. So if you go to England, to India or Pakistan, everybody speaks English. That's the business language, and they use our same law. It's called the common law. So if you're a lawyer in Pakistan or India. You, you, can you can do law, law here, system, right? right? You know right? English and you know the system, right? But he had been a lawyer for eight years in India doing um, criminal law and a little bit of family law. And then he came over to Canada three and a half, three years ago, and he got a job at the Ministry of Attorney General as a clerk. So I knew he would like work. Came this guy system, was an eight yeah. year lawyer over there, which is very high up in that country. He's working as a clerk. Then he gets into Osgoode, gets a master's degree. Right, and then is na- and then is looking for work. So he's got some per diem work, but nobody in London would hire him hmm. uh, because he didn't have Canadian experience. And when I interviewed him, how do you get experience without getting experience? Yeah, right? but when I interviewed him, I said, "Man, I go. I think your time in Pakistan, uh, you know, as a as a criminal defense lawyer and a family lawyer, is extraordinarily valuable to my firm." And he got a little water in his eyes, and I'm like, "Did I say something wrong?" He goes, "He goes. I'm sorry. He goes. I don't mean to. Um, he goes, but." In all the time I've been in Canada, you are the first lawyer who has given one ounce of value to what I did in Pakistan. Hmm. And I just said, you know, from that lens that we process things, right? I see that that's an amazing asset. That guy, to do that work in Islamabad, yeah. is an, is, he had to hustle, he had to work, he had to solve complex problems, right? And if I can get him, for, like as an entry lawyer now, just a good business decision, but that human dynamic? Yeah. Um, and, and valuing him too, right? Like making him feel like yeah. somebody's loving on him. It's going to inspire him to do better work, yeah. right? So we continue the conversation, I rarely do this, but I just hired him on the spot. <laughs> I was just like, look, this feel too good about this. I'm Great. like, you're hired, bud. So come up here. And then it turns out he goes, well, I did some research, London has 10% of the population you know, is from an East Indian, uh, you know, that that part of the world. And there's not a lawyer in town that speaks Hindu, Pashtun, or Urdu, and he speaks all three. Wow. So I made a decision that felt good, okay. but in the end, from a business perspective, there's no lawyer in, in town for that 10% who speak that language. So it's going to get personal injury, like... Doing the right thing is always the right thing, right? Yeah, and it always yeah. will work
0: itself out, and especially in communities mm-hmm. like that where, you know, they'll value having something, somebody yeah. that they can trust. That they're comfortable with because I think we live in a world where it is
1: fearful to go out there into communities yeah. and transfer over And so he, from he's country, moving right? from Toronto and yeah. he's got two young kids, and that's why I said, Look, Nasser, um, I want your family to be happy here. And I said, There is nobody who I trust more to make sure your family is treated well than Justin Conoco. And I'm not saying this because you invited me on it, but that's why I called you it's, up and I asked you to take care of well, him Well, it's for the me.
0: team and the organization, right? Like there's things I've called you on, I've sent clients your way where like, I hear a story, I know nothing about law. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whether it's your specialty or not, I know your outfit has the right people to take care to of it. To get in the right spot, So yeah. give this guy a shout. Like yeah. it's, I always make a comparison to the mechanic that, you know, you know you need your brake fixed, but you yeah. don't want to go there and all of a sudden you're changing your tie rods and getting yeah. alignment, and you need a new engine. You know, you just send them to somebody and say, here you go. I mm-hmm. think, you know, it, it's crucial to build an
1: organization. That do you have that mechanic? I do. Yeah. I so send me that be contact there. because, you know, you always, I want those people, more of those people in my life as I well. I do. I actually keep yeah. a database. And when people in
0: my world bring people in, yeah. they all become part of the family. Right. And I think it's just a Who me- is that community mechanic? building. It's the Grogan's. The Grogan, oh. It's Grogan, it's Grogan oh, Ford.
1: Oh, so they'll, they'll repair anything? They'll do anything for you. This is ah, a pitch for- uh, Okay, well I'll take my car to Grogan. I know that they're, they're very honest people. <laughs> yeah, oh the Grogan's are my in-laws and they're big fans of Phil as well too. I know that- uh, But they're the most honest people I've ever met too. Wonderful oh my human God. beings. And I mean, we all
0: have, <laughs> we all look at the world in our own lens like we were talking about before. And I think having people that look at things differently and being open to having those yeah. discussions makes for a more colorful world um, from a high level. Yeah. I do want to ask you, you know, what, what are lessons that you learned going through that path from military to litigation to, you know, a big law firm to going through and, and being an entrepreneur in, in many different facets? Like, what's maybe one key lesson that you think a young entrepreneur starting a business that was you 20 years
1: ago, would give them? You, you, what I would give a, a young entrepreneur today? I don't know. Like, if you don't have a gut check, it's hard to figure out what you're made of. And so... so a gut
0: check being like a tough... A gut right? check
1: is like, you actually, you know, we kind of have an entitlement culture mm-hmm. where people are like, they want everything right they away and ready. they complain, you know, and I talked, har- I talked harshly to somebody the other day in my office. Now I try to have, right? But I can just tell that this, this new young guy, he's not used to that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't mean, but so getting a, getting a thick skin, but when I, when you do those courses where you go through a gut check and... When I started one of the toughest courses I ever did, when you looked around the starts, we started with seventy-two, right? And when I first, you know, surveyed those seventy-two guys, there was like eight, nine guys who, like, were walking barrel chested. You thought these guys are going to kill it on this course, right? First one's gone, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then there was like a, a collection of vagabonds from like Alberta, you know. But then, you know, and I judged them. Right? But yeah. then, as you get into the course and then when you get on that first kind of two week course where you know you don 't have any food, you know and, and you, then you see how people act at four o'clock in the morning when they haven 't slept for two days and they 're hungry, right you see who can put the group ahead, and those guys who everybody thought was cool and I see them in our profession they 're always the shiniest guys with the newest car right they're they 're not reliable yeah. they're're they're, they're sh- they're consistently it down.
0: inconsistent.
1: yeah and then those, it's those people that I judge as not having the parts because of appearance who ended up being the guy who would come up to like I remember once being hurting, and it was like four, and we only had a short time to sleep. And this guy needed sleep as much as anybody, and he, he offered to help me out so I could I could do something. So he sacrificed you know some sleep for me, and that, that was just a real. Yeah. And so I think in the law firm, I think a little bit like you, we're kind of populated by by some vagabonds who who people didn't recognize the value in them. And so I kind of like I like to I live to find people who have real value, but the system is not recognizing them and then help build them into champions. And I just I think you're doing the same thing.
0: Best mindset on yeah. the face of the earth, I think. Because I, I do think we're in like a generational shift, too, where it's gone from go to here, get your degree, go to school. This is how you go. Like I I've yeah. watched an entire breakdown on the education system and the degree equals this job. Well, instead of you become an employee, become management. Mm. Well, you know, go get this degree and then you become upper mm-hmm. management that's all going away because yeah. the entrepreneurs are able to move quicker and faster yeah. than a lot of the big companies and that's why they're winning a lot of mandates and beating the big companies at a lot of things is it takes such a long time to turn a big ship oh around God. but if you have a quick little navy seal team i call it jokingly you can adapt to the marketplace and where the attention's going way faster than it you you else, have
1: right? to read a book because this speaks to the strategy that i loved in the military and It's um it's called Colonel Boyd, who's an American, but it, there's actually a science behind what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's based in the Korean War. If we got five minutes, I'll What's tell your, you
0: about hey, 100%, it. Yeah,
1: 100%. So in the Korean War, the air force between the North Korean and the Americans, the North Koreans were using Russian MiG fighters. Yeah. It was a superior fighter aircraft, faster, um, could better firepower, everything. But the U.S. Hornets had a bigger Coppola. Coppola is okay. so that you could see around it, right? And so this Colonel Boyd was, saw that the American fighters were killing... The, the Russian fighters, hmm. right, even though they had far superior, but it was because of what he called, it's called the uh, decision action cycle. So it's observe, orient, decide, act. And so imagine two planes are flying, right, if this can't turn as much, and he doesn't see the info, so this person is doing he two cycles, like this, yeah. this person is doing two decision cycles for every one this one does. he's got to turn. His so he turns here, this guy goes boom boom, this guy turns once, boom boom right and it operates yeah, in business
0: incrementally taking steps ahead and
1: that guy going, is responding right? to old information you're ahead and so in the in world war ii what was relevant is the germans nobody thought the germans could go through belgium to attack france france and belgium were equal armies okay. with the marginal line equal armies right france surrendered in three weeks the biggest defeat ever of any army right but the germans had adopted what's called intent base leadership or maneuver warfare theory so when they snuck through the belgian forest what the, the Rommel said is, we, our goal is the surrender of France. So the old armies, the French army was very hierarchical and slow like a business. So when they broke through the Belgian Ardennes and they were behind all of the French and there was nobody between them and France, the old days you would sit, send a telegraph back, telegraph would come back, move another thing, right? So the French heard they broke through. It took them like three days to get something moving the the divisional commander, the Germans, just said, our goal is to surrender France. Nobody's between Let's me and go. France. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And so they, they're they going here. So the French la- launch their thing to go to this breach. By the time they get they're there, gone. the Germans are here. Yeah. Right. And then they and then they retrain them to go here three and then the Germans are here. Yeah, and bad. they have destroyed all of the supply lines, everything. And, and France surrenders equal army in three weeks. And that's example example of the business when you yeah. have a tight ship that can that can make decisions fast on accurate information. Let's go back to the conversation about ego, because mm-hmm. as a leader of a company, A, a you mm-hmm.
0: can't believe your own hype. I yeah. mean, I'm in the real estate industry, there's yeah. a lot of agents that believe their own hype. If you're one of those agents, mm-hmm. go do something difficult, go try jujitsu, go mm-hmm. yeah. try walk, like rock climbing, and challenge yourself because you ain't that special, and there's somebody <laughs> younger coming up behind you that's gonna take everything you've built if you <laughs> get lazy. Um, but from an organizational standpoint, as a leader, you do have to stand out, right? You have to be able to have a vision and see things that the people that are working for you, that are working in the here and now are like, that's insane, what do you mean we're gonna be doing that? Like, This is what the entire industry is doing, this is what yeah, we should yeah. be doing. And that's a way you've really delineated yourself and really made a difference for the way I see you run your company mm-hmm. is thinking six steps ahead, but then not being you know, too driven by your own ego, it's not be able to adapt if you're wrong or oh, yeah. you're mid-course and things change, right? Because mm-hmm. things change every day
1: it's true yeah so you know how has failure shaped your life <coughs> well every time there was a setback um you know when i went to the big firm after i left the crown's office i was good friends with the managing partners but the 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 medium-sized partners they didn't like that this new upstart was in there being friends doing yeah. stuff so they voted me out so it was essentially fire Yep. and then i thought this sucks Right? Everybody's going
0: to pay attention, It's going to shock the world. Right?
1: But then that led me, that was like the, that led me to start the firm. So really, all of the good achievements come from those setbacks, right? And if you can't, you know, I don't want to be cliche, everybody says, well, you got to keep failing. But you fail way, you learn way more from from a failure than from a a success. But as long as you're failing uh, for the right reason. Failing forward. Yeah, but if you're just failing, trying to do the right thing, like I've lost big trials. Yeah. Right. And I took risks, you know yeah. what I mean? But I knew I was, it was I'm, I can go to sleep knowing it was for the right thing. And. and if you stand, like, that's the thing, right? Is you think you can get caught in your own world
0: thinking, like, thinking of something as a failure when it's the best thing to ever happen. Yeah. When we've both done it, like, you know, I know you've turned down business and I've walked away from business that some agents would call me crazy for. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't line up with where I see things going you know, it's going to hamper you, it's going it's to tie your hands, where sometimes, like, you make a hard decision on a file that you're like, it'd be great to take this from a monetary value perspective, it doesn't line up with who I am, you mm. use a burden lifted off your back, right, or you yeah. feel like you walk yeah. with a right think step.
1: To go back to young entrepreneur, they're very worried about perception, yeah. and liberty is when you stop caring what other people think, It's true. right, so, you know, they're worried about failure just because they're embarrassed. I mean, just stop worrying about it. Nobody just, cares. Just get on with it. Yeah, Nobody's they, paying attention. They're too they forget. Busy on
0: TikTok or Snapchat to mm. care what you're doing in your yeah, life. Yeah, just keep right?
1: moving forward. Like. Yeah. Because
0: mm. we're friends and we keep in touch. But at the same time, like, time goes by really quickly. Mm-hmm. If, like, three or four weeks go by, we catch up. I just saw you on Saturday at the event, which I was yeah. super thankful that you showed up. And it's fun to be in that dynamic. But time goes by very quickly. Are we going to finish this
1: podcast with a TikTok video?
0: <laughs> we can if you want. <laughs> We I haven't, haven't got to use gradual, ta- TikTok, yeah.
1: but I can do you know despacito if you like. Or uh, have you uh, <laughs>
0: have you heard that TikToks owned by a company in China? China, yeah. The dynamic behind that. What's your opinion on China on the world stage right now?
1: They're an empire that yeah. you know thinks twenty years down the road, while Western society thinks six months to twelve months. It's pretty so, pretty. Clear that that's what they're doing, right? But now, you know, as they are becoming modernized and raising the standard of living, things change too, so they can't keep up what they were. Yeah. So, you know, they're not necessarily the enemy, they're just going to act in their own interest.
0: I think people need to have different lenses too, because there's human beings on the other side of that, right? And yeah. I think it comes down to the individual and really, you know, pouring yourself into or opening up your eyes beyond the lens that you tend to look at the world?
1: You know, like, do I think we should be able to, be, to make a, a factory here with robotics cheaper than, than having it made in China by cheap labor and then shipped over? Like, I think good companies can find ways to do things here, but it doesn't mean that we're going to have a manufacturing base like we did in the past, because robotics are going to do it all. They, I mean, the world needs to open up their eyes that industries are
0: changing, right? Like mm-hmm. thinking that things are always going to be the way they once were. Like I truly believe people are very resilient and they'll adapt and they'll find different things. Like if all of a sudden the autonomous trucks take over and yeah. take over that industry, well, those people still have value and they have skills in other things. Maybe the guy's a bow hunter and he goes down that rabbit hole and yeah. becomes...
1: Something that Maybe. he actually loves doing. But, but right? that's the challenge. I think that's why Andrew Yang was talking about yeah. that. Like that's yeah, the that bigg- was a good breakdown. That's the biggest employer in the United States. So you got like a 50-year-old truck driver. They're not the most malleable. Some will find it, but there will be some casualties of that. There will be. Yeah. That's I mean, why
0: they said autonomous trucks. Then they said tele- telecenters or call centres are yeah. the next after that. And voice recognition software is going right down that alley, mm-hmm. right? But I, I want to wrap this up. I want gotcha. to bring some value to you guys. You know, what... What can I do to add value to you, or what can my audience do as an action item to kind of expose themselves to your world and your knowledge, because you guys have some great expertise. Where can they go to see all your content?
1: So malarslaw.com is our website, and okay. you know, I'm, not, um, I'm not shy about saying that we have the most Google reviews of any law firm in Southwestern Ontario, wow. five stars, and those are from clients. So that's something I'm very proud of, okay. and it blows my mind away that these big law firms don't think it's important. To get those reviews but they you know my my mission is to is to do kind of boutique services for people who need who need help you know and, and i compete against big money firms you know and they got to pay for their marble and so you know what people can do is just go check out our blog we try to put a lot of good content on there there's a lot of good uh,
0: there's stuff that shocked me like little tips about getting you know pulled over and what you should know what you shouldn't know so there is like incredible content and yeah. you know i want to thank you for being who you are Honestly, Mm -hmm. like having lunches with you, challenging me on things that I think about, being open to conversations that I've had
1: with you both ways, and you know, I'm sure we'll do more of these in the future. Hey, we got we have a big lawsuit coming up in the next week or two. That'll be in the media. That is that that's even scary a little bit to me, but it's the right it's the right thing to do. And uh, you know, your listeners can follow that and see how we're doing it. But it's it's going to be big and juicy.
0: Okay, we'll be watching for that. Thanks, Phil. You too.